0: Good morning. Good morning. Let's go ahead and begin class with prayer this morning. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for uh, the love that you've given us. We thank you for the truth as you've revealed it through Jesus. We thank you for salvation that Christ has provided. Lord, we invite you here into our hearts. Abide in our minds and, and our hearts that we can uh, know and love you and love each other. May our, our conversations be to glorify you this, this morning, we pray in your holy name. Amen. We're doing lesson number three in our quarterly Garments of Grace Clothing Imagery in the Bible, and the lesson title this week is Garment of Innocence. And in Sunday's lesson, the lesson asks us to consider the, the question, what the earth was like prior to sin, and how our world today differs from the world God created. Any uh, Nobody with any first-hand knowledge, I know, but any speculation on how the world was before sin and how our world today differs. She says much more beautiful before sin of the thoughts. Okay, no thorns, no thistles, no poisonous herbs, no weeds, any gardeners, no weeds. Weeds. Not a weed on earth before sin. Wouldn't that be cool? The reference from uh Christ's parable who planted the tares, an enemy has done this? No rain. Yes.
1: No death whatsoever. No didn't death. The plant it didn't, it didn't die. And then what yeah. to
0: it? No, nothing died, and that'd be kind of wild. You pick a, f- a flower, and you don't have to put it in water.
1: Hmm.
0: I mean, that would be that's going to be interesting to see how that works, isn't it?
1: The, 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 what do you do with it when you're tired of it? <laughs> so that's why the diet was different.
0: The <laughs> diet was different then. Yeah,
2: but you get bored with
0: one plant, one another. So what do you do with the one that you pick? You put it down. It probably just grows. Plants starts a new one. <laughs> No <laughs> boredom. No boredom. No boredom. Oh, I like that. Um, so no decay? There was no molds, no mildews. No 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 need to no need to tie like your shower. Yeah. What? No need to shower. There we go. No deodorant, no no perfumes, no hairspray. Hey, men didn't have to shave, neither did women, you know, all that kind of yeah. It's
1: a funny thing. I, I have wondered whether there were the ice caps on the poles. And if you if you think of how the Earth shifted, and the island of Japan shifted with the tsunami, imagine the flood. And
0: yeah, I, I don't I don't believe there were. In fact, there were
1: things like that. There
0: were no polar extremes prior to the flood, so there were no polar extremes, no ice caps. The one climate uniform around the Earth was a pleasant where no matter where you walked on the globe. That's why you can find woolly mammoths. Uh, with, uh, with their, you know, stomach still full of food up in the tundra buried in the ice of Siberia. Okay? Well, how, what, how, what were the woolly mabbits doing up there? Yeah, so.
1: People didn't get tired. Yeah. Was the sun seven times
0: hotter? Good, yeah, some, some speculate that prior to the, uh, this is prior to the flood, there was a water layer above the earth. This is, this is what some speculate, that, uh, based on scripture in the Old Testament, that the sun was seven times hotter than it is, and the moon shone like the sun. This is a script, this is an Old Testament, Isaiah. It's an Isaiah. And so the moon, prior to the flood, was actually as bright as our sun, and the, um, sun was seven times hotter than it is now. And it was the alteration in those bodies that led to the collapse of the water. It was that energy that kept the water above the Earth, and uh, then it was dispersed in a uniform way to make a giant greenhouse-like effect, where the whole planet had a uniform and and temperate climate. Um, So that's that's a possibility. Uh, They didn't need to sleep, uh, from what I understand. They never got tired. Wouldn't it be odd? I said this to my wife just this week. I said, wouldn't it be neat if we never had to sleep and never got tired? We're always fresh, always full of energy. How much more could we get done? (laughs) It's like, that would be great. It's like, we're wasting so much time in bed. Yes.
1: No earthquakes and tsunamis.
0: No earthquakes and tsunamis. No volcanoes. None of those natural disasters. Yeah, so this is out of uh, Story of Redemption, page 20. The Father and the Son engaged in the mighty, wondrous work they had contemplated of creating the world. The earth came forth from the hand of the Creator exceedingly beautiful. There were mountains and hills and plains, and interspersed among them were rivers and bodies of water. The earth was not one extensive plain, but the monotony of the scenery was broken by hills and mountains, not high and ragged as they are now, but regular and beautiful in shape. The bare high rocks were never seen upon them, but lay beneath the surface answering as bones to the earth. The waters were regularly dispersed. The hills, mountains, and mountains and very beautiful plains were adorned with plants and flowers and tall majestic trees of every description, which were many times larger and much more beautiful than trees are now. The air was pure and healthful, and the earth seemed like a noble palace. Angels beheld and rejoiced at the wonderful and beautiful works of God. See, what do you think? I, I love the the mountains that we see today I just show you how darkened our minds are, how, how little we comprehend and see that when we, um, look around and we, and we go skiing, uh, out in Colorado and we look around and say, man, isn't this beautiful? Look at these gorgeous mountains. Ellen White says, these are answering as bones to the earth. So when you see a person with a broken leg and a bone sticking out, you go, man, that's so beautiful. <laughs> But that's what the earth is like right now. The bones are sticking out of the earth, and we go, that's so beautiful. Something's wrong. Our, our vision has been darkened. We don't see what God really wants us to see and, and what, what he created. And then this is out of Patriarchs and Prophets, page 90. In the days of Noah, a double curse rested upon... Now, this is already two curses on the earth, but listen to what she describes still before the flood. In the days of Noah, a double curse rested upon the earth in consequence to Adam's transgression and the murder committed by Cain. Yet this had not greatly changed the face of nature. There were evident tokens of decay, but the earth was still rich and beautiful in the gifts of God's providence. The hills were crowned with majestic trees supporting the fruit-laden branches of the vine. The vast garden-like plains were clothed with verdure and sweets with fragrance of a thousand flowers. The fruits of the earth were in great variety and almost without limit. The trees far surpassed in size, beauty, and perfect proportion, any now to be found. Wow, even the redwoods? Wow, they, they surpassed that. Their wood, now listen to this wood. Their wood was a fine grain and hard substance closely resembling stone and hardly less enduring. It, it, petrified wood, is that like pre-flood trees? I don't know. Gold, silver, and precious stones existed in abundance. So you get this image in your mind, what did the earth look like? These trees. Maybe this is why it took 120 years to build a ship out of a tree that was hard as stone. Yeah. Well, can you imagine the rivers? Okay. Was, according to the, the, the scriptures, when we look at the, the new heavens and the new earth, what, what are the, what is the New Jerusalem built out of? Precious. Precious. precious metals and stones and things like this. So we have this indication, and she says here that gold, silver, and precious stones existed in abundance, not buried deep in the earth. The flood buried all that stuff in the earth. Do you get like a vision? That maybe there's a river, and the riverbed isn't mud, but it's gold or or rubies and sapphires and diamonds made out of the riverbed, or a waterfall with platinum sapphires and diamonds behind the waterfall, and the waters running down the river. Like, I mean, can you? Wouldn't that be beautiful? So all these varieties. Just think of the things that God might have done with these things to make the earth so so beautiful. I, I'm I'm uh, I, I don't think our imagine imagination can really do it justice so the earth that we see now we go wow how beautiful remember when Ellen White would come out of a vision she would go dark 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 the earth is so dark yeah Monday's lesson says naked uh, but not ashamed is the title lesson third paragraph says the sinless pair wore no artificial garments they were clothed with a covering of light and glory, such as the angels wear. So long as they lived in obedience to God, this robe of light continued to enshroud them. So, question, where did, where did this robe come from?
3: From God.
0: She says from God.
4: Was the Spirit
3: of God that clothed
0: them. Is this robe of light that they wore connected or related to the robe woven in the loom of heaven? It's not one thread of human devising. Are they connected or are they separate garments? Well, this is, um, do you know what I mean when I say the robe woven in the loom of heaven? Christ, Christ, this is out of Christ's Object Lessons, page 311. The robe woven in the loom of heaven hasn't it not one thread of human devising? Christ and his humanity wrought out a perfect character. It, does that have anything to do with the robe that they were wearing before their fall? The robe of light. Is it connected to the character that they possessed prior to their fall? Um, And this character he offers to impart to us. When we submit ourselves to Christ, the heart is united with his heart. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life. This is what it means to be clothed with the garment of his righteousness. Are are those two robes the same? Are they different? Was Moses starting to get dressed in the robe when he came down off the mountain and his face was radiating? What about Stephen when his face was that of an angel? In Exodus chapter 34 verse 29 through 35, we read, and it came about when Moses was coming down from the mount, Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of the testimony were in Moses' hand, and he was coming down from the mountain, that Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he was speaking with him. And Aaron and the sons of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin on his face shone. And then in verse 35, the sons of Israel would see the face of Moses that the skin of Moses' face shone. Imagine the skin. There's something physiologic. Skin is, is, is glowing, shining. Hmm. Is this magic? Was Moses being transformed in character by beholding God? Yes was Moses putting on the robe of Christ's righteousness. Can we experience this type of thing here, now, in our fallen human condition, as Moses, of course, had not been translated yet. He was still in a fallen state. Can we experience that? This is out of um, Review and Herald, July 21, 1851. Speaking about a time uh, that many of us believe is, is pending in the near future. In the time of trouble... We all fled from the cities and villages, but were pursued by the wicked who entered the houses of the saints. They raised swords to kill us, but they broke and fell powerless as as straw. Then we all cried day and night for the deliverance, and the cry came up before God. The Israel of God stood with their eyes fixed upward, listening to the words as they came from the mouth of Jehovah and rolled through the earth like peals of loudest thunder. It was awfully solemn. At the end of every sentence, the saints shouted, glory, hallelujah. Their countenances were lighted up with the glory of God, and they shone with the glory as Moses' face did when he came down from Sinai. The wicked could not look on them for the glory. Wow. Is this something we will get to experience? Hmm. So what is this clothing that they wore? What is this clothing of Christ's righteousness? Is there a connection between transformation of our characters partaking, as Peter says, be partakers of the divine nature. This is out of Christ's Object Lessons, page 68. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This fruit can never perish, but will produce after its kind a harvest into eternal life. When the fruit is brought forth, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. Is it, is it pie in the sky to think that we could actually experience a new heart and right spirit and partake of the life of Christ and, and love others more than self? To have this character reproduced, not by any hard work and effort on our part, but by partaking of Jesus and experiencing Him through the work of His Spirit in our lives. Is, is that pie in the sky, or is, is that something we should expect?
2: That's why we're Christians. There's no other reason.
0: Yes.
5: I think it's interesting to think in terms of what you were saying about the glow that they had. We even speak at that, and certainly in a very diminished form, but we talk about that healthy glow. All of those things that come with... Living in terms of the health that God designed for us, it gives our skin a glow. When you read about skincare, you talk about you need to drink lots of water because dehydration, it diminishes your skin, it makes it look sunken, it makes it look sickly. All of the things that God talks to us about health, we already associate with a healthy glow. I can imagine from the perspective of right thinking, all of those things bring out in us more than we ever dreamed of a
0: healthy glow. I can tell you in what I do as a as a psychiatrist, I have patients that come see me that are burdened, burdened with guilt, fears, insecurities, various kinds, depressed, um, traumatized. And in, in the course of treatment, we work on their heart-mind issues. And as they experience healing and the burdens are relieved, I can often tell, before I even start to talk to them from the session before when they were oppressed to this session, I can see there's a glow. There's a change in their countenance. There is a brightness about them. It's not physical light type stuff like Moses had, but I understand what you mean. But I think that's even, even brighter oftentimes than, than the hydration aspects of, of the healthy countenance that we can get because there's a peace in the heart. There's a joy in the heart. Yes.
2: I had the privilege in my college years of working at St. Helena's Sand and taking care of many, um, old saints in their late 90s. And there's definitely a difference. Someone who has submitted the will, their own will, to the Lord all through their lives. You can see it even on the face of a person who is about to die.
0: Yeah, I believe that's to be case. I believe that to be true. There's plenty of seats over here. Oh, yeah, you Um, Tuesday's lesson, second paragraph. It says, a simple test was given to Adam and Eve to see whether they would, in their freedom, obey the Lord. It was, in a sense, a time of probation for these free creatures. Freedom means just that, freedom. And they had to prove that they would do the right thing with the freedom given them. What do you think about this sentence, to see whether they would, in their freedom, obey the Lord? Yes.
1: I want to respond to that by coming back briefly to something from Monday's lesson about Um, so long as they lived in obedience to God. Because the word obey was just in what you just read. Uh, This robe of light continued to enshroud them. To me, thinking of that enshrouding, that covering as character clarifies obedience. It's not, as we often understand it, to gain favor or to avoid punishment. So it's an if-then thing. To me, it seems when you are covered with Christ's character, it is a natural outpouring.
0: Okay, I like it, yeah.
1: I, to me,
0: this, this paragraph implies a
1: bit of an arbitrary test. Well, yes. I'm an arbitrary God, well, it, and my understanding of the tree of life was not an arbitrary test They're for their character development.
0: Yeah, a- excellently. I've got a quote here I'm going to share in a minute to, to uh, uh, illuminate that further. What, what troubled me about the, about the uh, and I don't think it was intentional, I think it was inadvertent. It was one of those things we sometimes phrase and, and don't really mean, how, uh, mean necessarily the way it came out, but... It was a simple test was given them to, to see whether they would would do with their freedom, as if the father and the son just created the, this new pair, and the son looks to the father and said, "Hey, what do you think? You think they'll stay loyal, or or do you think they'll disobey? Let's let's find out. What what fifty fifty odds? What do you think? Yes, uh, to see? Come on, they knew what was going to happen, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Now I know there's this whole line of theology that's going around, very widespread, uh, openness theism, open theism, where they believe God didn't know." and he had to put this out there to see. I think God knew exactly what was going to happen, and it wasn't to see. It was, for what you suggested, two purposes. Yes?
2: If you look at this relationship that of a parent to a child, uh, don't you think a lot of it is the loving parent wanting to grow the, the moral values and the depth of character in that relationship of support and love, and then allowing that child the ability to, to uh, use their own legs with the strength that has been given them in the relationship and to be able to do the right thing that way.
0: So yes, yeah, so to test could mean as in to, you know, put them through the scrutiny of a test to see whether they pass, or test one's metal, to test one's strength, to to uh to test one's abilities to strengthen.
2: Or just as you're walking along and the child is growing legs that are supported by that, that base of the, the loving relationship to allow them to test their own legs in in that uh that relationship.
0: No, I I I, I understand. Right. Um Could Satan follow this couple throughout the entire globe of earth, or could he access them only at that tree? So one element that the tree served was as a restriction on Satan's access to them, that they couldn't be harassed going about their duties on earth. It was a protection on one aspect. But here's that of uh, Conflict and Courage, page 13. Our first parents, though created innocent and holy, were not placed beyond the possibility of wrongdoing. They were to enjoy communion with God and holy angels, but before they could be rendered eternally secure, their loyalty must be tested. At the very beginning of man's existence, a check was placed upon the desire for self-indulgence, the fatal passion that lay at the foundation of Satan's fall. The tree of knowledge which stood near the tree of life in the midst of the garden was to be a test of the obedience, faith, and love of our first parents. While permitted to eat freely of every other tree, they were forbidden to taste of this on the pain of death. They were also to be exposed to the temptations of Satan. But if they endured the trial, they would finally be placed beyond his power to endure perpetual favor. We're going to come back to this. I want you to think about what this means. What's it it implying? Next paragraph. God might have created man without the power to transgress his law. He might have withheld the hand of Adam from touching the forbidden fruit. But in that case, man man would have been not a free moral agent, but a mere automaton. Without freedom of choice his obedience would, have, would not have been voluntary, but forced. There could have been no development of character. It would have been unworthy of man as an intelligent being and would have sustained Satan's charges of God's arbitrary rule. So one of the purposes of the tree was, as Russell said, for their development, to put them in a situation where they could weigh the issues, think it through as free, intelligent, moral beings, come to their own conclusion, exercise their own power of choice. Yes?
1: We were not the first created free moral agents in the universe, though, were we?
0: Um, Lucifer and the angels were free moral agents.
1: So I guess I struggled, I've i struggled all my life, back and forth, back and forth. Does God really, really, really know at every decision point we have what we're going to decide? Or did you just have a... Really, really good idea. Like, I have a good idea of what she's going to do in most situations. Much better than I know what you're going to do. Does God have that to the nth degree? But is there still, as a free moral agent, or a little, little bit of doubt?
0: Yeah, I, I, I have no doubt in my mind, looking at the evidence of inspiration, that God knows exactly what choices we made before they're made. I have no doubt about that. How did he know to have only one ark built when he was preaching for 120 years for people to get on? Either he knew that only eight would get on, or he was playing a fraud and giving people a false hope. So, um, and that's just one evidence of many, many in Scripture. Uh, God knew exactly what Judas was going to do. Even though he did everything to try to dissuade him, he knew Judas would resist. We, we, you know, God knows our moral choices before we make them. But the, the interesting thing is, Uh, what we find from scripture, even though he knows our choices, he doesn't use that information to alter the way he treats us. He treats us with absolute freedom, respect, love. He never changes who he is. I
3: was going to say it shows how great his love is because even though he knows
0: the choice we're going to make and what our end outcome is, he still treats us equally the same. So in
2: in that same basis, the term test, I'd like to flip that a little bit, and the the, the education element, and that is it's simply the opportunity to demonstrate what one has learned or what one embodies, and that would be the embodiment of the love that they have. So the tree being there, instead of it being a gotcha kind of test, it's simply the opportunity for them to say, you know what, my love for God is bigger than my curiosity of that tree. No, thank you.
0: I I like it. Even more than that, they could have, I mean, when the serpent began talking to Eve, was she forbidden from saying, wait a minute, I hear what you have to say, I think I'll go talk with Adam, and you know, uh, God comes in the cool of the day every day, I'm going to wait and have a conversation with him about this. I mean, was she restricted from taking some time out and considering and pondering it, having a conversation, we're told that, that they conversed with angels on a regular basis. I mean, there was no restriction there.
2: Exactly. Thank you,
0: so if they it says in this in this passage I read that if they would not have taken from the, the tree, if they would have endured the test, the quote is they would have been placed beyond Satan's power. Placed beyond Satan's power. What does that mean? What would have placed them? Why would they have been placed? What is Satan's power? Lies about God. He is the father of lies. This is his power power to deceive, power to distort, power to lie. So what, uh, would God have removed Satan and that was, is what would have removed them from his power? Or having been so settled into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, that they could not be moved, they were beyond his power. So what put them beyond the power is not some act of God to restrict Satan's access, but having weighed out the issues, seen the truth, been convicted, chosen it, become part of their character. What's the new covenant? Write my law in your heart and minds. Okay? That's what places them beyond his power. Yes. Yes, Wendell.
3: Just shortly before the crucifixion and the trial in Gethsemane, Christ said, the prince of darkness is coming, but he has nothing in me. In other words, his, his character had been so perfectly developed that there was nothing that was attractive to Christ that Satan had to offer.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Absolutely right. And you know the statement out of the faith I live by, um, it's just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their forehead. It is not any seal or mark that can be seen. But a settling into the truth, both intellectually and spiritually, they cannot be moved. Intellectually and spiritually. What does that mean to be settled intellectually and spiritually? This is my understanding of what that means. Intellectually means you're under, your comprehension, your understanding. Spiritually means your, your character. So, I have patients who are smokers, and you can, you can be unsettled in all these areas. I have patients who are smokers who are settled into the truth intellectually that smoking is no good for them. They know the data, they know the science, they know it's killing them, but they still smoke. They're settled intellectually, but they're not settled spiritually. I have others who aren't settled either way. They actually think smoking helps them breathe better. <laughs> but to be settled intellectually and spiritually is you not only understand and comprehend the truth but it becomes part of your character part of your your heart's attitude and modus operandi yeah that's
4: you've said before their characters were still developing because they were new creatures and they were still growing in in grace and God um, so that maybe if they had stayed away from the tree a lot longer, they would have come to the point where that tree would have had no influence over them whatsoever. But because they were still young in their development, maybe that was why the temptation was so great. Do you think?
2: But do we know how long they were in the garden before they were
0: tempted? uh, uh, My my hypothesis, and I I always try to take an evidence-based approach to these things, Uh, we don't have a scripture that I know of anywhere. If anybody knows one, we're given a timeline. They were in the garden 17 days, and then she. I mean, we don't have that, do we? No, no. so my hypothesis it had to be less than nine months. Gestation. You said had to be less than
1: nine. Yeah. Okay.
0: <laughs> God said to Eve, seriously. Oh, wait, wait, wait. God said to Eve, Be fruitful and multiply. I'm Adam and Eve, Be fruitful and multiply. He gave them the command. Adam wakes up. I mean, come on. Sin. Pardon?
2: Maybe they were like elephants and didn't have um, a menses all the time.
0: <laughs> well, uh, well, see, that, that would counter what God instructed them to do. He instructed them to be fruitful and multiply. So they, they were blessed. They were fertile, okay? And, uh, and in a world without sin. That's what he told them. They didn't have kids. I don't think, you know, I mean, Adam wakes up and there's perfection. I mean, I know my wife's perfect, but this had to be even better, right? <laughs> okay? I just think it had to be less than nine months, so. But you can argue with me if you want. But that's that's you know my, my thoughts on it. So I don't think they were there very long. I think they were in, I think they were they were perfect in their creation, but they were undeveloped in their character because character, as we're told, cannot be um, created. Character has to be developed. Yes.
5: Had they not sinned, they would not have realized the good and evil. Am I correct in saying that? And if they had not sinned, not that I'm pro sin, believe me, I'm not. But um, how else would they have developed the character if they didn't have to deal with the sinful side of life?
0: The character would have been dealt by weighing the issues out and making a decision for the good and saying no to the temptation to to distrust God. It was a question of trusting God. Do the angels in heaven right now, like Gabriel, do they have a knowledge of evil? (laughs) You don't think that they felt evil when Christ was crucified on the cross, absolutely. The only think they felt it. All heaven was in silence. They were stunned. They were. They were grief. They were crying. Mm-hmm. Well, they probably
1: felt when, Satan was, it when, when Satan was cast out of heaven. How
0: about when Satan was cast out of heaven? I mean, yeah. Did did you have to partake? Do you guys have to um, kiss a dog to maybe know it might not taste good?
2: <laughs>
0: Do you have to? I mean, you know, yeah.
2: But also, in the same way, whenever Christ came as a child, Babe, and then grew, and he grew in favor with God and man, he was able to develop character further, I think, uh, because I don't think he was born with all of his knowledge base uh, at that point, that he grew and chose in his childhood and development as well. So he didn't have to partake of the sin to to grow his
0: character that's a, we're actually told that that's exactly right he developed a character here on earth a human character he didn't develop a divine character he developed a human character uh, Desire of Ages page 761 um, the law requires righteousness a righteous life this man has not to give but Christ came as a man and developed a perfect character this is he offers as a free gift for all who will um, accept it so yeah um, what about Adam and Eve after they sinned what happened to that robe of light where did it go they had a robe of light? They sinned? What happened? Where'd it go? Why? why what happened? Why were they suddenly cold?
5: The connection, the with God.
0: The, their sin severed a connection with God. Absolutely. 1 Timothy 6.16 tells us God lives in? Unapproachable light. Uh, Hebrews 12.29, our God is? A consuming fire. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, when God takes his throne and 10,000 and times 10,000 stand before him, what's issuing from the throne? Fire. Rivers of fire and they all stand in this fire. Okay, um, We're told that uh, to sin, wherever it is found, our God is consuming. a consuming fire. Did God veil earth from his unveiled presence when Adam and Eve sinned? Remember, coming out of vision, we already spoke it every time. Dark, dark, dark. So this world is is cut off in a certain way. It's veiled from God's unveiled presence. What were we told? If Christ would have come with the glory he shared with the Father at his incarnation, he would have what? He would have destroyed mankind by his presence because his glory was too much for us to survive in. That means he would have come in anger and hostility and and no. and in a punishing. Act. No. There's something incompatible there with an unhealed heart and mind in the presence of God. So I'm suggesting that when they sinned, God veiled earth from his unveiled presence. So to provide a probationary existence, an artificial environment. World, the earth is in an artificial bubble from the rest of the universe, cut off, in, so to speak, from what the rest of the universe walks and sees. Um, what barred? Why were they barred from the tree of life? Was it a punishment?
4: Mercy. It was to protect them from the uh, tempter, from the evil that was lurking there. The tree was just like every other tree in the garden, as far as I can see. What well, was bad about it?
0: No, no, after they sinned. After they sinned, why were they barred from the tree of life?
4: Because then they would
2: have had immortality
4: forever, a sinful life. Of immortality.
0: What, are we, what do we, as a, as a church group, uh, teach as a, uh, one of the, uh, the doctrines that, that is most offensive and turns people away from God? I don't know if you know, it's in, it's in Ellen White's writings. Pardon? Hellfire. Not just hellfire. An eternal, burning, suffering, tormenting place. Well, if, what is it like to live a life of unhealed sin? Is that happiness, joy, and peace? Or is an unhealed life of sin, torment, and torture? Would it be, would it, I mean, can a sinner unreconciled to Christ have peace? No, No, it's torment, torture, fear, anxiety, dread, guilt, all this horrible stuff, shame. So if they live forever as sinners, then you've created hell. So God in mercy, mercy protected them from getting to the tree so they would not live forever as sinners and be tormented forever and instead open the path through Christ for redemption and salvation. Yes?
5: This sounds so much like that, that distortion of his
4: character, that law of love being broken, that, that everybody wanted them to think that it was because he was a punishing, terrible God that these things were there, when actually it was an act of mercy. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: You know, this is why he barred them from the tree of life so they wouldn't live eternally in an unhealed sinful state. Yes.
1: If life comes from God, how could eternal life come from a fruit?
0: Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting question. I think um the reality is and I've had this discussion uh with people. I don't think they would um have been prevented from violent death, decapitation, for instance, nuclear um meltdown of their uh, their physical tissues, but they would have been prevented from aging. I think the, the the tree would have prevented aging death or or death from um uh you know, bad diet and this kind of stuff that that we di- uh, die from today. I think it would have provided physiological healing to the body from injury uh, that weren't uh, of a, a perm- like a decapitation and those types of things. That's what I think my personal thoughts and on a that. Cellular regener- a, a cellular regeneration type yeah. thing, yeah.
4: Constant rejuvenation as you eat it. Just yep. Yeah,
0: yeah. Thursday's lesson, if you jump to Thursday's lesson, the first paragraph says, second paragraph, excuse me, says, first we can see that Adam and Eve's fig leaf covering was not adequate. If it were, there would have been no need to kill innocent animals in order to, to clothe a fallen couple, couple. In the same way, all of our efforts to keep the law well enough to be saved are inadequate. If working our way to salvation were adequate, Christ would not have had to die for us. Just as the fig leaves would have been less costly and traumatic than the death of innocent animals, so too our works would have been cheaper than the death of Jesus. In both cases, our works, fig leaves, couldn't suffice. That's why Jesus had to die for us. That's why innocent animals needed to be slain. It could be no other way. What do you all think?
4: I've been waiting all week to hear you talk about
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> well, first off, first, first question. Anybody else have comments? We want to comment? Do we have any inspiration that actually says God killed innocent animals to give them those skins? Nowhere. It's all implied. It's all assumed. The scriptures say he he clothed them in skins. That's all the scriptures say. And I went up and looked, everything Ellen White wrote about it that I could find on the CD-ROM, and she says the exact same thing, that he clothed them in skins. It never says he killed an animal. That's assumed, because as our finite human minds, the only way we could get an animal skin is to kill an animal. But which is easier, for God to speak out of nothing a living animal or to speak a skin?
3: If oh, you're God, they're, they're
0: neither one of them yeah. are challenged. <laughs> But Yeah, no, right. But you know my point. It's harder to make life than to make a skin, to make it alive. You see. So there's the assumption that he slew the animal, but it's never said, stated anywhere in the inspired record. And if you have a certain idea in your mind when you read the record, then you see that without even questioning it, um, it's automatic. Well, God killed the animal to provide the the covering. Yes.
1: Isn't it, isn't it reasonable to suggest another option, that Christ uh, or that God or Christ uh, basically took them through the first sacrificial system and, and had them slay the animal? And they, they witnessed the evidence of blood on the ground and, and the, the death and, and the first comprehension of, of what had occurred and, and the idea, the first comprehension of there's going to be a coming redeemer.
0: Yeah, I, those yeah, that that's also would be assumed. It's not. In, it's not in the. It's not in the record. And I think people would have problem with that because then they would say, "Well, see, if they slew the first animals, then they're providing their own covering, and God needs to provide the covering for them." And so, but see, the problem that I have with the idea that God slew the animal to provide—I don't have a problem. With God providing the covering, He absolutely did. And what we read earlier, um, and, and, the, and let me just back up and say something. When we talk about metaphors, and there's lots of metaphors. Metaphors are not reality. They're symbols. My heart wants to know the reality of what the symbols are trying to teach. And so I'm always probing and asking questions. What is the reality? We're going to probe here in a minute and and try to understand what are these symbols, what are the reality that the symbols stand in for?
4: Right.
0: Okay? Yes?
5: Well, I think just quickly, that would go to when you talk about what God created for us to eat. People say well he fed the 5,000 with fish of course he wants us to eat fish. Well Christ wasn't literally there at those baskets making fish and killing them and then, you know what I mean? He was making something but it wasn't that Christ was making a fish and killing it. He was creating something right there. You know what I mean when you were saying could God have created a skin well obviously yes he wasn't going through the whole process of killing a fish, catching it and then Dispersing it to the five thousand. But I think the problem with this here to me suggests that it says in the same way all our efforts to keep the law well enough to be saved or inadequate implies that we could keep the law without Christ restoring that in a human mind and then giving to that to us. This the way he has worded that maybe didn't mean that but implies that we could keep the law but that just isn't enough even if we could keep the law jesus still had to die to give us his blood but the problem is we couldn't do it
0: absolutely it was
5: lost it was a lost option for the human mind to do that that's why jesus had to die not because we needed the blood on top of all of our good works we just couldn't do the good works without jesus restoring that capacity in a human mind.
0: Let's let's press these metaphors a little further. Any other questions or comments? Yes.
2: just want to go to another potential source of the skin and that is whenever that uh, connection with God was severed with the act of sin. Why what would keep it from also being severed for the animals themselves and isn't it entirely possible that at that break of uh, the connection with God that there were two animals uh, that then turned into their fierce selves and created the skins just by the effect of sin of the animals attacking each other and then God was able to take and say, this is the effect of sin. But out of this, I want you to understand.
0: Yeah, again, uh, assumed. This is, exactly. this, is, this is assumed well. yeah. Just the, and, and these are assumptions. So if we sit with the text, God provided skins.
3: Right.
0: We have to read into where he got the skins. What would it say about God, though, if it's true? You see, th- this is a difficulty. If we, if, we, if we take the assumption that God killed the animals to provide the skin, then we've got God in the role of cosmic executioner. God is the one who kills. He's the one who took first life in the universe. He shed first blood. As a, as a, not, not as a, not as a voluntary sacrifice, but as a killer. The father killed to take blood. And, and I have a problem with that. I, I don't think he killed the animals. I think he provided the covering. Um, what about this sentence in here? Our works would have been cheaper than the death of Christ. Is it about expense? Did salvation have a price tag? on it that required payment to achieve freedom from sinners. Is it like C.S. Lewis' depiction of the lion witch in the wardrobe? The white witch has enticed the son of Adam and now she has the right to the life of the the son of Adam and Aslan makes a deal with the white witch to pay her her the price of his life so the son of Adam can be set free. You all familiar with the lion witch in the wardrobe? Is that what what it's like? That the, the white witch has the the right to a price. We heard about ransom today at church, and we get several examples of pirates holding ransom and holding holding ships, and then ransoms were paid to the pirates. So the pirates would let go of what they they held. Is that what we're talking about? Satan holds us, and and a price was paid to the one holding. What, What is the purpose of ransom? What is its purpose? it is the price necessary to release something held captive question what holds human race in captivity two things two things as i understand it from reading the inspired record widely the lies that satan has told about god that we believe so we don't trust him christ needed to pay the price sufficient enough to destroy the lies to set us free you'll know the truth the truth will set you free this is one of the prices paid not enough second price our own carnal nature we are inherently warped and self-centered and our nature holds us captive Christ came to destroy the carnal nature he He became sin who knew no sin took it to the cross and crushed it he paid the price necessary to redeem and free us it's not a mystery I would like to look past the metaphor to the reality it was a reality truth about God had to be revealed the carnal nature had to be destroyed in order for us to be set free and we can do away with all this other business of um, well, who did he get paid to? Was it paid to the father because the father demanded it? No, it's beautifully said. Father and son are one. There was, it was wonderfully said today. Okay, there's no need for that. But who was the the ransom paid to?
5: The story of Ruth and where Boaz redeemed her. That very good example of of the redeeming that Christ did. thus far, well. I guess in the in the Bible language that's called the goel the Redeemer, and Christ became our closest kinsman so that he could redeem us. It's a good illustration of the redeeming process.
0: So when we use the language of expense or price, is it a payment like a mortgage payment or a price like a prison sentence? Or does it mean something else? If a father has a son dying of renal failure and the father donates his kidney to save the son. Did he pay a price? Was it expensive? Did it cost him? Yeah. Yeah. Was it legally imposed? No. Did the law of health require it? Were laws involved? Laws of health required it. You can't heal him without a healthy kidney. So laws are involved. Are they different than, than something we sometimes hear? third paragraph states second what's the main difference between fig leaves what, what's the main difference between fig leaves and animal skins what inevitably comes from the latter that doesn't come from the former of course the answer is blood that alone could tell us how the gospel appears in Genesis 3.21 again why was blood necessary to save mankind If we had the, uh, if we had the shroud in which Christ was buried, some believe it's the shroud of, shroud of Turin, but uh, others don't. But if we had the actual shroud, we really had verifiable, this is the shroud in which Christ was buried. And there are dried red blood on this shroud. Would that blood on that shroud give us salvation? We can present that as a ticket into heaven. Understand, then. So, is it because it's dried blood would have to be fresh? No, it's still not about the blood, is it? It's not about the red corpuscles. These are symbols. These are symbols. What's the reality that the blood symbolizes?
4: The,
0: The, Leviticus 17, the life is in the blood. So the first thing, and Christ, of course, in John 6 tells us, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me. So the first thing is it represents that perfect character we talked about, that life, that that robe. See, we're connecting it back. That robe that they had in the beginning they no longer had, Christ came to develop that robe so they could wear it again. It's his life. It's his blood. something we ingest. So Ellen White says in Fundamentals of Christian Education, page 378, In the study of the Bible, the converted soul eats the flesh and drinks the blood of the Son of God which he himself interprets as receiving and doing his words that are spirit and life. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 102, the leaven of truth works a change in the whole man, making the coarse refined, the rough, gentle, the selfish, generous. By it, the truth, the impure are cleansed, washed in the blood of the Lamb. Is it literal, physical, red corpuscle blood? Or is it a symbol of the life and truth, the truth and life of Jesus. The truth about God, this was the two things we said, the ransom price, the truth to destroy the lies, so we just read here is the blood, and the life of Christ, the perfect character that destroyed the carnal nature that we partake of. This is the ransom price. This is the blood. This is the reality of the universe that we can partake of and participate in. So in reality, according to Christ, Where did he tell us in John 6 the blood was to be applied? Where where were we to put the blood in John 6? Unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Where is he telling it should go?
5: Inside. Okay,
0: inside of us. So what does this application result in? When a human heart, a human individual, ingests Jesus Christ, his life, his merits, his character. Uh, the mind becomes united with his mind. The thoughts become in harmony with his. We read earlier today in class. What happens inside that individual when that experience takes place? A she says a change. What kind of change? For the better.
4: Long suffering, goodness, <laughs> patience,
2: faith, temperance.
0: What might we call that? Conversion, transformation, regeneration, no, circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit, the heart of stone removed, heart of flesh put in, writing the law on the heart. On the, on the heart. I mean, the metaphors of Scripture, isn't that what it's talking about? These are all metaphors describing what?
3: Atonement. Atonement, atonement, atonement. 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 atonement.
0: atonement at one minute, bringing us back into unity with God, a real reality. Yes?
2: If you are what you eat, and we just say we ingest Christ and drink the blood, then wouldn't that come back full circle to where... The radiance was on Moses' face when he came down from Christ, uh, from seeing God, because now he was transformed. It was internal. It was he was what he ate spiritually.
0: spiritually. You no, know, I like it. Yeah, absolutely. This is our privilege, guys. We actually get to be partakers. Peter says partakers of the divine nature. We get to partake of that. No longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. It's a re- is this just all metaphorical, m- you know, uh, legal speak of something? Or is it a reality, a real thing that we experience? Paul
4: says we become a new creature.
0: We become a new creature. The old is gone, the new has come. We have the mind of Christ. Do you notice that the, the metaphors of scripture are really describing a regeneration, recreation process in the human soul? Is, are they not? Yeah. Yes.
4: When you do something wrong, say you spend a life smoking, you pay the price of smoking by getting lung cancer. So, the price that is paid is really to us, to heal us. And I, I think um, in the sermon today, no one ever really identified who the ransom was paid to. And but it's to us. We, we are, we, we pay the price, or Jesus pays the price, one or the other. The
0: price of the ransom was paid to us. Let's see if we can't. Uh, uh, either affirm or deny that, that hypothesis. In this universe, does, does God, in character, in essence, in who He is, does He change? No. Same yesterday, and tomorrow. Does God's law change? No. When man sinned, did God change? Or His law? Did man change? Yes. Then, when Christ came to do His mission, however you describe it, where would He, the effect of that change, have to be focused? In order to bring us back into harmony with God. In man. Okay? So the effect has to be changing man back into harmony with God. No other, no other place can it work. So, and, and we're told, where's Jesus talking? The truth will set you free. And if we identified correctly the two elements of the ransom, truth, it has to be applied to our hearts to win us to trust. The partaking of the divine nature, the, the destruction of the carnal nature, that we become new in heart and spirit, that's also applied to us. So in the Old Testament sanctuary service, we're going back trying to clarify the metaphor of the blood to the reality. The Old Testament sanctuary service on earth, was that reality or was that a metaphor? metaphor. Okay? And the Lamb was symbolic of Jesus, who was a reality. He's the reality, the Lamb is the metaphor. The blood of the Lamb is a metaphor for life. the life of Christ. Where did the blood get applied in the Old System? In
4: the sanctuary.
0: To the altar, which altar? Both, depending on which service, okay, and where else? To the, in front of the veil, sprinkled several times, and inside the most holy place.
2: Mm-hmm. Sprinkle.
0: Now, what's the reality of this? It's symbols. It's all symbols. What's the reality? Do we use the Old Testament, develop a theory based on reading the symbols, and then go to the New Testament and take Jesus and plug him into the, the symbols? Or do we take Jesus as the light which lightens all men, the key which unlocks the mysteries, all the light says the gospel is the key which unlocks the mysteries of the Old Testament sanctuary service. Uh, do we take him and say, okay, he said the blood is to go into us. He said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will build it up. The New Testament says, know ye not that you are a temple the Holy Spirit and God dwells in you? Uh, did Jesus, if we're right on, on the idea that the blood represents truth, as we read in, in the text here, and the life of Christ from the text, did God the Father need the truth or the life of his son presented to him? No. no, we needed the truth. We were the ones that didn't understand. We were the ones in darkness. We were the ones confused. We were the ones that needed to, be clarif- to have clarification and brought back to trust in God. We're the ones who needed to be changed. So I'm going to suggest to you that much of the teaching of the Old Testament sanctuary service is God's plan of atonement. Uh, returning us back and in direct uh, into unity with God, healing and restoring us, fixing us. His whole plan to destroy sin and fix sinners.
5: So, what are all of those things that you're talking about in the sanctuary? Where, where was the blood applied? What is the symbolism
0: there? Yeah, that's a that's another two-hour lecture, isn't
1: it? <laughs>
0: yes, this is what good teachers do. See, we give you guys something to go home and study.
1: <laughs>
0: you see? So, you guys need to go home and dig and research.
5: I just think it's interesting because I have been studying the sanctuary some um, that when the sinner sinned, God's answer was run to God, you know, come here, and the death happened outside the sanctuary.
0: Who was it that brought the death? Was it the priest? The sinner. The sinner. The sinner cut the throat. Mm -hmm. And the the blood represents the life of Christ taken to the altar. depending on who, you notice it was done differently if it was a a non-priest Jew. Went to the brazen altar, priest Jew. The blood went to the golden altar. You think that through. What's the difference between a non-priest Jew and a priest Jew in the symbols? Well,
5: the priest represents Jesus.
0: No, the high priest represents Jesus. The priest represents the daily priests with their white robes represent Christians. Priesthood of believers. The priesthood of believers. <laughs> so the priesthood of believers, when they sin, they still confess, sin, slay the animal, and the blood goes to the golden altar and seven times before the veil fascinating symbolism, guys. Your leadership
2: responsibility. Pardon? Your leadership
0: responsibility. Yeah, why not to the brazen altar, though? He different stages of character development? Oh, did you hear that? He said different stages of character development rep- represented in the system. What do the horns represent? Horns on the, on the brazen altar are large, big old horns. Horns on the golden altar are very small little horns. You do a search on this, you'll find that the horns represent selfishness, basically. promoting self self exaltation the brazen altar is an unconverted heart that's why the blood is poured out at the base because it requires an entire transformation cleansing renewal the golden altar is uh, uh, is the heart of the man who's already been transformed and redeemed but he's still got the character defects he's working on that's why the blood gets applied to the horns transforming those character defects there's so much more yes
3: as we're talking this week about the truth being the source of our garment of light um, there's also a a fake garment of light as well if you read Mrs. White's writing she often the the term garments of light is most associated with devil the devil's mixing of truth with air and that um, he will clothe his most close deceptions at the end of time in garments of light that appear to be garments of light.
0: And, and of course, Paul said in Galatians, even if an angel comes, an angel from heaven comes with another gospel, let him be anathema, eternally condemned, cursed. I think, uh, what, what is it, uh, damned to hell? One of the versions say.
3: As, as discussed in this class, we have to use our intellect and God's spirit to discern truth. And it's just not an automatic.
0: So my, my challenge, I agree with you. My challenge to you guys, as I've said many times, don't believe anything because I say it. Also, don't rest satisfied with symbols. Uh, through God's grace, pray that he opens your minds to see what the symbols are trying to teach, the reality of his universe. Amen. What does he say to his disciples? I have much to tell you, but right now I'm restricting information that's classified above your pay grade.
1: <laughs> no,
0: but you can't bear it. He wants to enlighten us more than we can handle and if we get our hearts ready and we're, and we're seeking that truth and develop a heart for truth, he will lead us into the truth. And I'm going to suggest that, that when we, when we understand the reality of his universe, all the metaphors actually teach one reality. There's not ten realities. There's one reality. And they're all teaching the same thing. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have, uh, reached us in our darkened minds and states and carnal hearts, that you didn't abandon us, that you sent Christ to provide all that was necessary to restore us back into an eternity of love with you. May, we, uh, may, may the Spirit be imparted to enlighten our minds, to um, draw us close to you, to convict of the areas in our lives we need to change, to give us a humble and meek heart like Christ and like your friend Moses. May we um, go forth from here sharing a, a wonderful message of a God who loves us so much. May we may our minds be able to put the pieces of this cosmic conflict together that we can communicate effectively at this end of time the uh, message that is to lighten the world for your coming, that we can see you very soon, we pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.